Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you are visiting with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Should be a card called a connection card underneath the seat in front of you. Just take it out, fill it out either with a pen or you can use the QR code on your phone and do it electronically. If you fill it out physically, place it in the box in the back between the two doors, which is also where we take our offerings. Um, we also do offerings electronic as well, so you can do either way. So um, Tim is preaching this morning, bringing the message. We look forward to that on this wonderful uh, cold Texas day. So I want you guys to remember the number 60. That's not how old I am yet, but 60. We saw 60 degrees yesterday. We will not see it again till Tuesday, nine days from now. So all this week, for those of you who love to live in Texas, and the reason you live in Texas is because of the warm weather, you are in the wrong state. So 60 is also the low temperature for those same 10 days in the Florida Keys. So if you are wanting to get out of the cold, just drive east for about 20-something hours, and you will get to warm weather but it's not gonna be here. So warm up or keep warm this week. Hope you have a great week and a safe week. We're now gonna read the scripture. So if you will turn to James chapter four. James chapter four, verses seven through 10. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for so much of wisdom and your words through your word, and I just uh, pray that we will soak it in. And Lord, just understand what you're communicating to us. Lord, I pray that you will speak through Tim this morning, that your truth will be spoken, and that we will respond. And we say this in your name. Amen. In 1944, the Imperial Japanese Army dropped off what they would refer to as those to be uh, saboteurs. Individuals in the jungle looking for targets and they were to be disruptive to the allied forces. One of those being dropped off was a lieutenant by the name of Hiru Onoda. His direction was given to him by Major Taniguchi that you are to stay here and he made a promise, I will come back for you but you are to fulfill the commands I am giving you as a member of the Imperial Japanese Army. The war ended. Word got to uh, Hiro, Hiro, excuse me, and he refused to believe it because the news came to him from just an uh, enlisted man, but not his commanding officer. For the next 29 years, Hiru stayed on that island and disrupted anything that he thought was an allied event. You see, the command that he was given was you are to go 
and fulfill what you have been told to do. You are not to waver from it, but be obedient to it. And he did that. Even though the world around him was changing, there was no war attached to what he was commanded to be in. But yet he stayed true to what his commanding officer told him to do. Today we see in our country, all over our country, even around the world, we see this new move. The move is, it's actually the, the word for it is called progressive deconstructionism. It's where we take the word of God and we want to change it to make it more palatable. Here's what God says. Hey, this is what I give you and how I want you to live, how I want you to serve. Today, we look at him and go, hey, you know, it's just a whole lot to do. So let's change it and make it a little bit easier to do. There's a church right here in Huntsville that preached less than a year ago in their church service on a Sunday that if Jesus were to come back, he would rewrite the word of God. And he finished the sermon with the statement of what the world needs is more woke Christianity. Progressive deconstructionism. It's let's take God's word and let's change it to where it makes our lives easier. And everybody gets along. Listen, the desire that we have is we do want everybody to get along. There are people that I have uh, viewpoints of that are definitely different than what they believe. But we can share a cup of coffee or a glass of tea and talk about life and be very kind towards each other, even though we're on different sides of the fight. But the world says we want you to change because it makes it easy. Listen, we're going to have this until Jesus does come back. But we don't worry about that. And we don't go out there and we look for fights. We don't. We live the life according to what Scripture says to the glory of God. Listen, God doesn't want us to be this little mechanical robot that does the ABCs every day. I mean, if God wanted robots, he would have created us to be that way. Instead, he gave us the ability to make a choice. That way, when we're up here and we're singing the songs, it comes from a heart that says, God, we love you and we praise you. And it's my choice to sing to you. It means more. As we look in the book of James today, we're going to see that what's going on is you have the Jewish Christians whose biggest opponent is the Jewish people who are trying to push them down. But you also have the element of Jewish Christians who are coming over to their side, the Jewish side, and laying down some of the precepts that God has put out there. They're not living it for the sake of peace. And James is having to address that. The book of James, Dr. Ronald Blue he says this, he said it's a, it's a letter to, to challenge or to exhort the early believers to Christian maturity and to live a holy life, but to deal more with the practice of the Christian faith rather than its precepts. In other words, its commands. It should be a natural flow from us. Now, I know sometimes, guys, it's not natural that that flesh does rear up at times. And we have to battle with that. But we should be striving every day to be in the word of God, growing so that it becomes more natural as we live it out. Dr. Thomas Constable said that James told his reader these five things that helps them achieve Christian maturity. 
Here are the five things. He said, to take a confident stand, to, to have compassionate service, to have careful speech, contrite submission, and concerned sharing. This book covers every part of the Christian life. It talks about what we should do, how we should do it, what we should say, how we should feel, and what the Christian life should have within it. But just like I said at the beginning of this message, we deal with the battle that's going on out there of we have to change God's word to keep peace in our world. No. A lot of you guys know a little mantra. I know that's not a word a lot, a lot of people don't like, but it's a little mantra I have. Of I'm not going to forsake the truth of God's word for the sake of peace. I'm not going to be a jerk about it to the best of my ability. I hope I'm not. But I'm going to stand firm in it. So take your Bibles and open them up if you, if you close them to James chapter 4. And let's read this passage and uh, then we're going to try and dive in. Actually, this, this passage of scripture could be several weeks worth of messages. But we're going to open the fire hydrant this morning and try and get through. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. They will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There are ten aorist imperatives in this set of verses. What does that mean? Basically, it means it's an urgent, positive command of how we should take on life every single day. Let's start with just the first one. It says, therefore, submit to God. Submission happens when humility is properly in place within us. That we understand this life does not belong to us. When God saves us, when we become his, we should naturally then come under his authority, realizing who he is and say, God, I'm yours. Now, when, when God was calling me into ministry, I didn't want to go. A lot of you guys know my testimony. I first went to college as a math major, and I realized the teachers are going to be poor. So I said, no, I want to be, I grew up in a very poor, and that's a joke, by the way. I'm not putting teachers down. Some of your teachers are going, well, yeah. But then I went into business. But God was calling me into ministry, and I didn't want to go into ministry, because ministry was even more poor than teachers. I mean, they were po. They couldn't afford the other ORR. They were po. And I want to do that. I mean, I, my youth pastor in my high school years, I remember his name was Glenn, and all the extra jobs Glenn had to do. But I submitted myself to what God wanted me to do, and it's a journey here now, almost 40 years later. Come March, I will be, have been in youth ministry for 40 years. Yeah, you're going, you need to be committed. I am, I'm committed to Jesus. And I, I love that he continues to use me. But I didn't want to submit. Why? Because I was holding on to what the world said I needed to have to be happy. And then God showed me through his word, I'm not, I'm not calling you to be happy. I'm calling you to be mine. And rather than happiness, you're going to receive joy, which is much deeper and much stronger. And in the midst of times where it's not happy, you still have joy because you know who I am and that I love you. 
and I'm going to take care of you. You see, the word submit in the Greek is actually two words put together. Hupotasso is the word. Hupo means to be under. Tasso means to arrange. Arrange for a purpose. It's a, it's a military term, actually, in the, the New Testament. This is another definition that I found. It says it means to arrange oneself under the command of a divine viewpoint rather than to live under one's own way of life based on a human viewpoint. It is a process of surrendering our own will to that of the Father. He's the one who, who leads. We simply follow. We submit to Him everything that we have. You see, there's a, there's a big divide right now. And actually some definition has, has been rearranged in these and have kind of morphed together. But there's a difference between re religious activity and obedient following. You see, the Pharisees were all about religious activity. I had the opportunity this last week to drive down to Houston and be a part of a question and answer uh, radio program that KCV does. CF does it, and whenever he does it remotely here, I join him upstairs in a little sound booth thing we kind of built up there. But I drove down there and worked with a man by the name of John Klubnick, and it, it was great. It was awesome. It was fun. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a fire you're sitting in waiting to see what comes. But one of the questions that came up was dealing with this premise. And I'm thinking, here I am studying this. Okay. And I told the, the caller, I said, let me ask you this. And I tell this to our students all the time. When it comes to your life as you set before the Lord and the activities that you do, God is not concerned by what you do. He cares about why you did it. You see, there's going to be a day that we stand before the Lord at the beam of seat of Christ and the motivation of why we did the things for him will be revealed. We're also going to see uh, at a time where the great white throat judgment happens. And we'll hear people saying, I did all these things in your name. And the words will be, but I never knew you. Depart from me. I had all the activity, but the heart wasn't right. The submission wasn't there. We are to be submitted to him completely. Submission is an act of, of, of full surrender, humility. It's not an activity. You see, people say, well, submission and obedience is the same thing. It's not. Obedience cannot happen properly unless the right pursuit of submission is in place. I am submitted to him, thus my obedience is proper and right. The title of the message was a portrait of an obedient follower. How do you become that? First, foremost, right here, we must submit to God. You are everything. I'm nothing. Apart from you, nothing. I'm standing over here praying, saying, Father, Lord, I have put words on a piece of paper, but Lord, I give this to you. I submit myself to you. You do with it what you will. For it's you who changes hearts, not me. And I hope that this meager offering that I bring this morning, God will honor you. Did you notice I didn't say impress you? They would honor him and that he will come in and change lives and hearts as only he can. And encourage those in this room that are trying to do it. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. You're living out the Christian faith to the best of your ability, what scripture says. And you're just being beat up right and left. Let me just tell you, good news. It's going to be that way through your whole life. 
Well, it doesn't sound very happy. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not up here to say happy, happy, happy. I'm here to tell you truth, truth, truth. But the cool thing is this, is he'll never leave you or forsake you. And if he's got you in that situation, there's a reason you're in it. That he's trusting you with this responsibility. The next thing we see in that verse is, it says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Another one of the phone calls, it just so happens to line up this way. One of the phone calls came in on Thursday was talking about rebuking the devil. And my response to him, I said, where do you find that in scripture? You don't. You don't. You resist the devil. You know, another thing is this, is the devil, by the way, isn't going to be dealing with you. He's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere. Now, he does have uh, the demonic forces with him, and they are going to try and mess with us. But we don't live in fear of that. God gave us the armor, right? Go read about the armor. He's fully suited. We don't worry about the loser. He's already lost. It's already done. Here's an illustration for you. A friend of mine who was uh, over in Africa visiting some missionaries that their church supported was talking to a missionary um, in this one remote area. They had gotten home late one night and they lived in a very small, what we would call hut, one room. And he opened the door and he saw a, a extremely large snake in there that was just basically around the edge of about half of the home. So he told his family to stay back. He walked out to their vehicle, got a pistol, walked in there and shot the snake in the head. Now, we all know what happens when you do that to snakes, right? They begin to just writhe around. This snake, he said, probably weighed about 400 pounds. And as it was just twisting and turning, it destroyed everything that they had. You see, the snake was dead, but still did as much damage as its body could as it, as it just writhed around. Look, Satan was defeated. He's writhing around doing as much damage as he can, but you don't worry about him because of the armor that we have. So we resist him. Now the enemy is going to try and come after us to get us to pull away from God. Let's look at the two temptations we see in Scripture that Satan was a part of with Eve in the garden and with Jesus. What did he try to get him to do or them to do? He tried to get them to doubt the word of God, then deny the word of God, then move to disregard the word of God, which ultimately is going to lead to disobeying the word of God. How do you resist the devil? By not giving in to those four temptations. How can we trust the word of God? You just do. You have to understand who he is. You have to, he, he created everything. He holds it together. He grants us life every day. And he loves us in a way that we can never understand. Now, a person who loves me like that, who's going to take care of me, I'm going to trust his word. Do, do I sometimes have moments I go, God, have I done something wrong? Have I made you? No, no, hold on. Remind yourself, Tim, who he is. He is perfect. He is good. He is God. Martin Luther said this. He said, don't argue with the devil. He's had 5,000 years of experience. And he's tried out all of his tricks on Adam and Abraham and David. He knows exactly where your weak spots are. But you don't worry about it. But here's the thing, guys. Most of us know where our weak spots are. When you have a struggle, listen, if there's a certain area of your life that you know you, you, you just fail in, you, you get accountability around that area. You avoid that area. 
You pray about that. You submit yourself to God. And if we're doing that properly, naturally, we will resist the enemy. We will hold true to who he is and we will resist him and follow God as he's commanded us to do. Verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The commandment here is to draw near to him. The beautiful part of that is it says, and he will draw near to us. But how do we draw near to him? How do we draw near? Well, it says in the verse to cleanse and to purify. How do we do that? Well, right here. By taking in the word of God. Listen, if you just come in on Sunday and you, you get your, your dose of, of the word in the morning, and you go home and then you don't pick it up again until the next Sunday. You're going to struggle. You just are. If Sunday morning was the only day that you ate a full meal and you went a full week without it. Well, by Saturday night, I mean, you're ready to chew on the furniture at the house. You are, you are starving and you are weak. If someone were to come in and invade your home, you possibly could be too weak to defend yourself. Same situation with this. We need to take in the word of God every single day. But we also need to focus on making sure that we ourselves, that we are purifying ourselves. We are trying to strive to make sure that everything within us is what it needs to be, that God desires. A verse that comes to mind Psalm 24, and it says this, verse three, it says, and who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor has sworn deceitfully. Again, we see right here, clean hands, pure heart. We see here, cleanse and purify. The cleanse is dealing with outward actions. Are there things that we, we have, things that we partake in that do not honor God? We need to cleanse those things. Purification is something that's within. God, help me to be free of this. Help me to stay away from these kind of things. Do you have people to come alongside of you and carry you through when you have those weak moments? But you see, throughout the church in this area, the struggle over and over again is this double-mindedness. Years and years ago, I had a student uh, tell me, well, you know, I'm good at sinning and God's good at forgiving, so we're a great couple. I said, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. We're going to read at the very end of this message, uh, Romans, chapter, Romans chapter 6, because that's the passage I started with and moved to this one. But we're going to see where it says very clearly, listen, God didn't save us just to go keep sinning. And by the way, we are to be him to the world around us. And if people are looking at us and they know that we do these things, it's a confusing message. I had a colleague of mine one time tell me that um, there was a man that he was working with uh, through discipleship. And the man was really struggling and he couldn't quite grasp what it means to be fully submitted to God. And then one, uh, one night he came, uh, the man came to Todd's office for their time of Bible study. And he said, I get it. I finally get it. And Todd said, well, what happened? What do you mean you get it? And he explained, I know what it means that I, what it means that I'm supposed to live. I'm 
supposed to live like Christ every day. And Todd said, what happened? He said, I'm at work. He said, I'm trying to witness to one of my friends, one of my coworkers. And he said, I know what you do away from this place. You're no different than I am. So I must be a Christian too. He said it changed his life. He realized then he had to make the choice to move away from trying to please the world and be totally God's. You see, we have to put away our selfish desires. James 1, verse 7 and 8 says, For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. What he's saying here, that word anything, literally standing for the word wisdom, because that passage is dealing with wisdom. He says, so this man's double-minded, and he's asking me for wisdom. No, because he's unstable. We want God's full blessing all the time. God, in fact, I say it. I mean, I, I pray this. God, would you bless this day? I, I pray that all, it's just kind of automatic. But I want to make sure I'm thinking about that while I'm asking that. But you know what, guys, by the way, sometimes when we ask God to bless, it could mean that he's going to bring something in that's going to try us for the sake of teaching us. Oh, I didn't sign up for that. If you ever played football, back in the, okay, back in the day, we had two-a-days, okay? And I mean, full-blown, full pads, out in the heat. They gave us a one cup of, uh, I, won't, I won't tell you what we called it, but it was like this salty Gatorade stuff. And that's all we got. And, but the idea behind it was to make us ready to endure a full game of football. And if you messed up, coach, grab your face. They don't do that today, but grab your face mask and throw you to the ground. It was tough. But the purpose behind all that was the intensity of it was to prepare us for what we had in front of us to do. Guys, sometimes, like you said, we go through some things. And we're going, oh, God, what are you, what are you doing? And God's saying, look, I'm trying to keep you single-minded. I'm trying to guard you, put the blinders on and keep the focus on what it's all about, who it's all about, which is, which is him. So he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Examine who you are. Make sure that you are following me, God speaking, like you're supposed to. I shared this story with our students some time ago. I've tried to share it several times because it happened a while back. But I'm in Walmart and I'm, I'm doing some shopping and I go to turn on an aisle. And just as I'm turning on the aisle, there's a basket turning at the other end. And it's one of our students that stopped attending our youth group. And he looked up and saw me and turned his basket and got out. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. So I pulled my basket out and I started going down and we're seeing each other on each row. Then he looks and he keeps going. I get to another row and I look. He's not there. Oh, no, you didn't. So I go down the aisle, get up, finally catch up with him. And I just I'll just call him, you know, John. I'll just say, I said, John, go down. Um, I'm kidding, John. I saw you over there, John. I had to call you out. Um, I said, John, dude, what's what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. And he goes, well, I'm just done with the whole church thing. I'm done with all that. And I said, what happened? And he, goes, and he turns around, because the whole time he's talking to me, he's not really facing me. I'm kind of right here. He turns and he goes, I'll tell you why. Because every time that you, you teach, I feel like you're interfering in my life. And I, and I just thought to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm by your house, peeking in the blind, seeing everything you're doing. No. And I just so told him, I said, John, listen, if something's bothering you, 
if something's stirring you, I said, I simply just present God's word. And I said, I personally don't know anything about you. And he just said, I'm not coming back because I want to do what I want to do. Long story short. And I just said, hey, before you go. And he's like, what? I said, you are always welcome and I love you. But more importantly, God is never going to give up on you. He went on. He eventually started going back to youth group, not ours, but praise the Lord, he started going back to a youth group and, and finished out his high school career somewhere else. But the thing is, is that we, we get to this place that we just kind of go, I'm uncomfortable with what I'm hearing. Why? Because we're holding on to two standards. And God says, don't do that. Hold on to me. Hold on to my word. Because it'll never fail you. Man's wisdom will or could. Man's wisdom does fail. Now, man's wisdom that's based on this that's coming out? No. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 9 says, Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. One of the biggest things that's taken place in this setting that James is addressing is hedonism. Hedonism, simply put, is just the pursuit of pleasure. Or sensual self-indulgence. That this life is all there is. So get all the gusto you can. Live your life. It's about you. That's what they were going through. And so you have the Jewish Christians over here. Coming over here trying to uh, make peace with the Jews who were anti what they believed. And saying this life, you know, you just live like it is. And go to the temple, sacrifice, God will make it right. You know, just don't worry about it. David Hume, one of the godfathers of modern day philosophy, said this. Hedonism is the ethical theory that pleasure is the highest good and proper aim for human life. Well, David Hume didn't believe anything about God. And this is what you get from someone who believes that. I mean, it makes sense, right? He simply says, I am not going to pursue anything outside of me because I am what matters. But see, when we look at these words, laymen and more, and sort of like, man, that's just kind of, that's just kind of a downer. I mean, why would I want to do that? You see, it's, this is the action of a heart that's properly submitted to God, resisting the devil, pushing away double-mindedness, that when something comes into our life that God does not want, this should be the natural action within us and about us. Have you ever messed up before and you felt so bad afterwards? You know, when, when I have people come talk to me and they say, you know, I just feel so bad. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Whenever I do counseling, there's three things I look for. I look for guilt. If, if they feel guilty about something, that's usually the easiest to find. The second one is a fear that basically starts and we don't know where it came from. I'm now, you know, they're now afraid to walk into a dark room or whatever. And the last one is what we call apparently uncaused fleeing or running away. Remember the story of John a minute ago? The standard was put out there. He didn't like it. He fled from it. And when I pursued him to talk to him, he was trying to push me away. He was trying to flee because hopefully I was representing the standard of Christ and he just didn't want it at that time. So when we have this, this stirring within us that something's not right, I feel guilty, that's a good thing. 
Now act upon it. And one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, in fact, they're all beautiful, but I really like this one, is 1 John 1, 9. If I confess, he forgives. Nowhere in that verse does it say I have to beg him for forgiveness. I try and help people to grasp that understanding that it is not about me begging for forgiveness. If I feel guilty later about something that I did before, but I've already repented of it, I don't need to ask for forgiveness again because God's already forgiven it. What does that verse say? He says that he forgives and cleanses it. He doesn't remember it anymore. He's not going to bring it up against us. When this life is done, sins that we have committed, that we have truly gone before him, repented of, confessed to him, he forgives and it's done. When I stand at the beam of seat of Christ, my, my faults, my failures are not going to be brought up. It's what I did for him. Why did I do what I did? Why did you get up this morning and come to church? Is it automatic? Or is there a desire to come and worship? Get to give God glory through music and through listening to the word. When you do events that our church sometimes uh, gives you opportunities to be a part of, to serve him in. Why do you do that? Because that's where the rewards are. But when it comes to us making a mistake about life, and we just we make a choice we shouldn't. And we begin to hurt inside about that. That's a good thing. Confess and then move forward. I, guys, I, I have so many people in my life who have made poor choices. And they're kind of divided. Some of them still dwell in that that is their, their identity. It's their failure. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And what they're doing, let's go back to the four. Okay, doubt, deny, disregard, disobey the word of God. See, when you live there and you beat yourself up and, you know, I'm just a sorry person. No, no, hey, listen, you made a mistake. You went before the Lord. You confessed it. Scripture says he forgives you, has wiped it clean. You should be on this side of, okay, God, I'm yours. And you never know when that mistake is going to become that experience. It's going to become a blessing to someone else as you share what God did through you and for you as you just walk through it. And guys, I'm going to just stop right now. I'm going to say this statement. If you have messed up and you've gone before the Lord, you have confessed it, that no longer defines you in any way. What defines you is the one that you serve, who is your God. I am a follower of Christ. I'm redeemed because of his goodness and his grace. And I'm going to walk with my head up. And if people, should they come into my life and try and bring that back up, I will simply remind them that you are not God. And the God that I serve has already forgiven me, restored me, and I'm going to give him glory for the rest of my life. Period. So when we get the, the words here that we should allow this, this hurt to, to motivate us to move back to where we need to be, it's a good thing. Matthew 5, 3 through 4, it simply says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When it stirs, we confess and know comfort is coming. And one day when this life is done, the kingdom awaits. Let's go to the verse 10. Let's go to that last verse. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. 
and he will lift you up. The, the Greek word here is uh, tapano. Tapano simply just means to be lowly, reverent, low, and the last one, crushed. I mean, if you were, you were to be picked for an activity and they say, hey, listen, at the end of this, you're going to be crushed, you'd be like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in. If crushing happens, it's for a reason. A friend of mine uh, who used to do a big student conference one year, he did uh, the potter's wheel. And uh, he had a big potter's wheel on the stage and he was molding the clay and he's kind of talking about how God molds us. And then he finishes, you know, this vase and it looks really pretty. He finishes it on Friday night. We come back Saturday morning uh, for the next session and he's holding it up and he's talking about it. And he goes, oh, there's an imperfection here. And he goes and he's, he's hitting the side of it. He goes, it's already hardened. There's only one way to fix this. And he throws it to the ground and he smashes it. And he has like a little whisk broom and he picks up all the pieces and he walks over to a bucket. He goes, in this bucket is water. And he puts it in there. And in a little while, this is going to become moldable again. You see, sometimes, guys, we can harden ourselves to a certain degree that God does have to crush. And we simply submit. Places us within himself. And we become pliable again. We become moldable again. And he goes back to work to make us what he wants us to be. Humility. Guys, bottom line, if you want to see a life that is used by God in an amazing, huge, big fashion, starts with us. And then when we do, and it's not like what it says here in the scripture, it says, humble yourself because I said so. It's not what it says there, does it? It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We have to make sure that we are putting everything that God desires before everything we desire. Let it run through that filter. You see, the portrait of an obedient follower of Christ is one who's not living on both sides, jumping the fence when it's convenient or necessary, is that I am His. Should the Lord not intervene, I think it's only going to get rougher. Let's just be honest. There's going to be a lot more time that people are going to push against us. We were a Christian nation around 1989 or so. We really became a post-Christian nation. And many people say today we are quickly approaching an anti-Christian nation. But I don't live in fear of that. Because we know who wins. Okay, We know who wins. But scripture tells us in Matthew 18, 4, it says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What does that verse tell us right there? To, to simply humble yourself before him, trust him, and let him take care of you. Not sit back and do nothing. I'm not saying that. We're called to be on the front line. But we don't worry about what may happen. Have you ever worried about something and that wasn't what happened? We sit there and go, oh, if I do this and this and this and this. No. 
We stay true to what he's called us to do humbly before him. Matthew Henry, who wrote a great commentary, I have them in my library, says the highest honor in heaven will be the reward of the greatest humility on earth. When I stand before the Lord, I want to make sure that I hear the words well done. I'm not going to do it perfect. Let's be honest. Nobody will. And when I'm not doing it perfect, I pray that he awakens me to that moment and I can confess quickly. But if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Romans chapter 6 with me? This is where I originally started. And this is such a great summation of everything I've spoken about today. Romans 6, starting in verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Underline those words. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into, into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died, has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but pre uh, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instru instruments of righteousness to God. Last verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What a tremendous promise. Let's go back to the Philippines for a second. Lieutenant Onada, for 29 years, continued the battle because he had not been instructed by his commander that it was done. An adventurer... That's what they called him. An adventurer found him, sought him out because he was a legend like Bigfoot. In the Philippines, he was a legend. He went seeking him and found him and told him the war was done. And he related to him that unless his commanding officer came to him and told him that it was done, that he would not stop. So this adventurer left. He went back to Japan and he located Major Tanaguchi. Taniguchi went to um, the uh, Japanese, Japanese Imperial Army, got permission. They flew him over, and he found him, and he addressed him, and he gave him uh, three ordinances of, it's done. He, I'm not going to read them all to you, but you need to lay it down. <coughs> Lieutenant Onada drew his sword out, put it in his hands, 
I found a picture of it, but I, and I just couldn't, didn't have time to give it to the guys in the back. But I have a picture of him presenting his sword to Major Tanaguchi. You see, guys, I, I look at that life as one that I want to live for my God. I have been given the directive to live holy and separated for him, to be humble every single day, to stand true for his word. And until I die or until Jesus comes back, I want to remain faithful unto him and not fail. What about us? What about every one of us in this room? If I were to say, who do you say that Jesus is? Just like Jesus spoke to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? We can verbally answer the question with, wow, you're, you're the savior of the world. We, can, we know the Sunday school answers. But the answers don't need to be coming from this. The answers need to be coming from this in the way that we live. If you say he's the Lord of your life, then your life shows it. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Please hear that. But we live humbly before the world, resisting the devil, drawing near to him every day, cleansing, purifying. When choices are made that shouldn't have been made, that we hurt over them. And then when we come out of that to be reminded that I am going to live humbly before him for his glory. And he's going to lift me up. He's going to exalt me. But not because I deserve it. But by his good grace. Will you pray with me? Father, um, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, in just a few moments that we've, we've been going through this one passage, Lord, there's so much more that could be brought out. But, Lord, I think this morning, I, my prayer is, you have brought out what you desire. May we be a people every single day, Father, that live knowing it's not about us. It's about you. It will always be about you. Now, Father, as we open this time of what we call invitation to give those a chance to respond. Father, will you move as only you can move? And Father, I pray that you move on all of us here. And Lord, I pray that people understand they don't have to come forward. They can, they can deal with you and make things right where, right where they are. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. And I pray that we mean that when we say it. We pray all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.